0: Morning, Christ Church. Good morning. And a warm welcome, just like Father Cliff said to anyone who might be visiting and worshiping with us this morning on this resurrection Sunday. Whether you are coming with friends or family, you've been a part of the neighborhood and just walked over or just found us online and are worshiping. We are delighted to be worshiping with you this morning. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen, indeed. Christ is risen. That is why we are here. The central fact of Christianity is that he is risen come out of the tomb. And so we will talk a little bit more about that. I know we also have kids. You are joining us in the service today, and we are so excited to have the kids. So um, kids, I have something I want to do with you. I want to teach you the very first greeting that there was in when we found out about Jesus' resurrection, the very first greeting. And it's in a foreign language. It's in Greek. So I'm going to teach you some Greek language this morning, kids. Are you ready for this? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Some kids somewhere, parents and others, you can join along with this. But this is the very first greeting when we find out that very thing we just said. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. This is how it is in the very first people to see this. And this is what the Greek churches still say to this day. They say, Christos anesti. And the response is, "Aleitos anesti. So the first person, kids, I'll say, Christos anesti. And then the kids say, "Alethos anesti." You want to practice it, kids? Can you say, "Alethos anesti"? All right, let's try it. Are you ready, kids? As loud as you can, "Christos anesti." And parents join in. That was lackluster. <laughs> "Christos anesti." He is risen indeed. The central fact of all of Christianity. Why we celebrate. Easter, why you're here this morning, the main point of the sermon is not Jesus was a great moral teacher, though he was. The main point of the sermon is not uh, that Christianity reaches out to the downcast and the downtrodden, though it does. The main point of the sermon is this. He is risen. He is no longer in the tomb. So we're going to look at that today, that news, that fact. You know, sometimes news, you get news and it's just information. It's going to be 75 degrees outside today. That's interesting. The Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Okay. That's some information that I have. Other times you get news and it has implication, right? There's something you're supposed to do with it. You get a phone call from your daughter, perhaps. Dad, I'm engaged and I'm getting married that's news with implication. It, it demands something of you. There's going to be a new orientation in our family. There's, I'm praying immediately. I might Financially, I'm providing for this wedding. So this is news with implication that we're looking at today. We're in Matthew's gospel. You can look at our gospel reading, Matthew 28. You need to know, Matthew is a devout Jewish Christian, and he's writing to other Jewish Christians, and he's trying to show them that Jesus is the better Moses, Moses was the prophet and the lawgiver who spoke the word of God, but here is the true word of God. He speaks on his own authority, and he wants to show them Jesus is the better King David. King David ruled the people of Israel, but here is the king who reigns forever, who never dies, who rules all the world. He tells the story. This is one of the earliest accounts we have of what happened that morning. Two women, both of them named Mary, go to Jesus' tomb. They're going that morning to mourn. They want some peace and quiet after the execution of Jesus. Suddenly an earthquake rumbles and an angel appears. And did you catch it? His, his clothing is like lightning, so bright. And this sight is so frightening that the Roman guards, professional security guards, thick-necked people, in fact, people that don't have necks, you know, just a head connects to the shoulders, <laughs> they pass out from fright at the sight of this angel. The women themselves are afraid. The angel begins to speak to them and says, don't be afraid. You're looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen. What we just said, Christos Anesti. He has risen. Come and see the place where he lay and then go and tell his disciples. Come and see and then go and tell. News with implication. Come and see, come and investigate, and then go and tell the disciples. Sometimes it's thought that in order to be a Christian, you have to be a thoughtless person. You have to check your brain at the door and just try to garner up some emotional energy to continue to believe in God. Nothing could be further from the truth. The angel says, use your mind, use all of your mind, use your senses, use your sight. Come and see, is he in the tomb? Probe honestly and ask if this is true, which is what I want us to do this morning. So many times we evaluate our faith by asking, how do I feel about God? We start with kind of the subjective experience. How am I feeling about God right now? And that's not where Christianity starts. There should be times you feel about God, like just overwhelmed gratitude. You'll have experiences, the Holy Spirit pouring out the love of God into your life. You, that should happen from time to time at your life, but that's not every single day. The fact of Christianity is not based on how you internally feel, what the thermometer is of your soul on any particular day. It's based on a fact. Something happened in history, objectively, outside of yourself. The reason we come and see is because for every single person who ever tries to follow God, there will come a season in your life where you begin to doubt, you begin to have questions, you wonder is this really true? God seems really distant. I wonder if that time where I felt like I was so close to him, maybe there was just some social pressure going on. I was in a room with people and felt like I had to make a decision for God to please my parents or someone else. I was pressured to believe. Maybe whatever I felt wasn't real and what I feel now, the absence of God, is actually more true. I don't think God actually does exist. But if Jesus did raise from the dead, then even if I feel distant from him, the faith is not over. Something happened, so I want us to come and see what might have happened that morning. Did the resurrection happen? And uh, for this week, uh, just in order to kind of prepare for this sermon, this is something I've done. I've, I think I've spoken about this before. I've had deep seasons of doubt in my own life, and what always pulls me back is looking at some of the things we're going to talk about this morning. Did it happen? Was it true? So I went back and reread books and articles, listened to some podcasts, scoured the internet which is a very dangerous thing to do just to let yourself loose. Look at the What are the theories that people have on what happened to Jesus that morning? And um, I want to go through some of the main theories and talk about them and what did happen. But all, all scholars start with these three points. First of all, Jesus of Nazareth existed. No one disputes that. Second of all, Jesus of Nazareth died on the cross. Everyone across the board, secular Christian, believes that point too. And third of all, The disciples claimed to see the risen bodily appearance of Jesus. Everyone agrees with that point, too. The question is, did they really see him raised from the dead? So what happened? Here's maybe one option. Did Jesus really die on the cross? Like, was he actually really dead? When he was executed, when he was crucified on the cross, did he really die? Or did he just get really close to death? And maybe he even passed out. And so it seemed like he was dead. You start to wonder about this, and some of the, th- the ways you might think about this is you'd have to, in order to believe this, you'd have to believe something that I think takes greater faith. You'd have to believe that Jesus survived an execution at the hands of professional executioners. Like, Can you imagine someone who's trained in execution to say, hey, Pilate, we did a pretty good job. <laughs> I think we got him halfway there, maybe two-thirds of the way there, right? Like, there's even stories about the, the, the Roman soldiers go by and they choose not to break Jesus' de- uh, legs to hasten the crucifixion like they do the other criminals crucified alongside him because they recognize he's already dead. To prove it, they go ahead and, and lance the side of his body and you can see that his heart has ruptured because this blood and water pours out together. So you have to believe that he survived an execution and tricked the executioners that he really didn't die. And you have to realize his body was totally encased in these winding sheets and entombed, about 75 pounds of linens and spices tightly wrapped around him and put into this this tomb, into this cave. So you're asking yourself, did Jesus really, after 72 hours, take off these pounds of wrapped linen? Did he walk out of the tomb after this excruciating crucifixion, having passed out and convinced these Roman executioners he was dead, having received this flogging that was so painful he couldn't even carry the cross without falling? Did he really walk out of the grave, push the stone aside, and then appear to his disciples and convince them, I never died, I'm alive, I've been resurrected? You can imagine someone having a terrible accident that everyone EMT declares them dead, and in three days are they walking around convincing you they're completely fine, restored? Restored. I think it takes faith to believe that. This next one is maybe there's just a mass hallucination all the disciples had. You know, when we talk about hallucinations, we usually think of private hallucinations. We don't think of public hallucinations. So there's, When you read the gospel accounts, there's Jesus appearing to different groups, to a group of 11 disciples, to so 12 disciples. Uh, at one point, Paul says, he appeared to 500 like a room like this. Most of them are still living. You can go and talk to them because they saw him. It's not the way that hallucinations normally happen, but sometimes when hallucinations do happen in groups, it is when people are all grouped together and they all see the same thing and they, they, kind, of, um, they kind of work themselves up into a frenzy. You know, kind of, have you ever been one of those, like maybe part of a group of 10 or 12, and you're like, yeah, I think I see A car over, I think I see, yeah, it's a car. I think I see a car on the horizon. Like, you kind of all start to go with it because you don't want to be the one who says they don't see it. So that's kind of the the principle of mass hallucination. But Jesus appears at multiple times to multiple different groups of people. Appears to the 500, appears to the 12. He appears to the 11. He appears to, uh, in Galilee, he appears in Jerusalem at different sites. He appears to women speaking. Something that hallucinations don't typically do. We typically have quick hallucinations, not hallucinations that hang around for 40 days. We have hallucinations where we can see something, but we don't touch it. People are touching Jesus, hugging Jesus, clasping his feet. Hallucinations don't typically take fish off of a plate and eat it and discard the remains of it. And here's the big kicker for this one. The Jewish authorities, if they wanted to, could still go to the tomb and produce the body if this was just a hallucination. This next one is maybe the disciples made all this up. You hear this theory sometimes. Maybe they just made it up. Maybe they they had this desire to deceive everyone with this worldwide religion. And the first question you want to ask with that is like, but why? Like, what's, what's in it for them? As you read the stories of the disciples, it's not like their lives got better by making this up. In fact, we don't have any evidence, any record of any of the disciples under pains of torture, of imprisonment, of execution, ever recanting their story. Not one disciple ever said, I changed my mind. We made it up. It was a joke. It was a myth. I'm sorry. No one ever says that. That's kind of incredible, in fact, that we don't have anyone recanting that they saw him. We'll sometimes have people recant whether or not they believe in God, but not that they saw him alive, the resurrected Jesus. The other thing I would say is if they made this up, they are one of the most creative authors. They're like Shakespeare 10X to make this up because they start to do some things that are pretty incredible. First of all, they completely innovate the idea that one person would be resurrected. That's like totally foreign to the ancient world. You had Homer who talked about shades and ghosts that would remain. You had this Jewish sense that maybe at the end of time, everyone will be resurrected, but you never had one person being resurrected, let alone the Messiah. You know what they thought about the Messiah, right? If you read the Dead Sea Scrolls, they're like, when the Messiah comes, you'll know he's the Messiah because he kills the enemies, not that he is killed. So starting with a failed Messiah and saying it's not everyone being resurrected, it's just one person being resurrected, and it's not a ghost, it's his bodily resurrection, that's why I'm saying it's 10X Shakespeare. It's greater than Tolkien. It's whoever the greatest author is, John Grisham. John Grisham can't write this, couldn't invent this story. (laughs) Furthermore, I would say it's poor writing. The men, the heroes of the story, are cowards. The women are the ones who show up first at the tomb in every single gospel. And you wonder, why is that significant? Don't overlook this. In the ancient world, this is put yourself in the ancient mindset. This is not modern. This is ancient mindset. Women weren't allowed to testify in court. Josephus, in fact, says, he's in a historian writing in 70 AD, from a woman, let no evidence be accepted Celsus, he's an early atheist writing before the third century, says, of course you don't believe Christianity. It was invented by hysterical women. And yet, all four gospels say the first people, the faithful disciples at the tomb, it was not Peter, it wasn't the men, it was the women. Why do they say that? Because that's how it happened. They didn't invent the story. There's a modern spin on this one, and it's maybe this was just a spiritual resurrection. Maybe Jesus is just saying, like, here's a great metaphor of coming back to life. Like, sure, there are spiritual implications from this, but it doesn't change the fact something really happened. And can you imagine all of the, the preachers, the, the disciples going out, risking their lives, going into the highways, the byways, looking for all the, the slaves, the outcasts, the women, saying, I've got a great message for you. In your hearts, you can have a little resurrection, You can have a metaphorical resurrection. Now go back to the life you're living right now, and I'm going to go and suffer for this message. Can you imagine them saying that? Peter Crift uh, said about this objection that it's just a spiritual resurrection only. He said the message that flashed across the ancient world, the message that that set hearts on fire, changed lives, turned the world upside down was not love your neighbor, Every morally sane person already knew that. That was not news. The news was that a man who claimed to be the Son of God and the Savior of the world had risen from the dead. Every sermon in the book of Acts mentions Jesus' physical, bodily resurrection. There Over 300 passages in the New Testament mentioning his physical, bodily resurrection. This is not sidebar, but it is essential to the faith. If the bones of Jesus were to be found, there is no more Christianity. You cannot be a Christian and think that Jesus only rose spiritually, metaphorically, but not in the body. Which, by the way, this is one of the reasons that Christians honor bodies so much. When you think of -of end-of-life care, you think of hospice, that was actually started by Christians saying that even as a person is dying, their bodies deserve to be honored. In the early, the ancient world, if you were poor, you couldn't afford a proper burial. You were thrown into a burial pit. And it was the Christians who took people, poor, impoverished, rich, wealthy, didn't matter, and gave them proper burials underneath the cross because everyone is equal in death. It's one of the reasons that we honor the givenness of the bodies because our God dignified our body by being raised bodily. Christianity is the religion that is pro-body. Pro the goodness of the body. You know, there are other theories as well. Again, scour the internet. You'll find them. You'll see things like, maybe the disciples forgot the tomb where they buried Jesus. Um, Right, that's pretty unlikely, right? Like, I forget my keys, but I don't forget where I buried my leader. You know, it's just, I wouldn't forget where that happened. There's another theory. Um, Maybe stray animals ate the body. Not likely. Because what inspires the confidence of these cowardly disciples to oppose even their own death and say, I've seen the resurrected Jesus, if they hadn't truly seen him. See, all the theories eventually just come down to this one point. And this is is like Christianity is an inverted pyramid going down to this one point. Either Jesus rose bodily from the grave or he did not. Everything rests on that. Everything falls on that. That is the hinge point of all of it. Either God does intervene in this world with all of its mess, all of its complexity, all of its brokenness, all of its sin, either God intervenes in our own lives with all of our own mess and complexity and brokenness and sin, or not. Either life overcomes death or not, either the resurrection happened or it did not. All right, it's Sunday morning, it's Easter, and um, I want to introduce a principle of logic to you this morning, which sounds like an audacious thing to do, but... Um, This is the law of non-contradiction, and it's a principle of logic, but it's so important here, and I think we can apply it to the resurrection. Um, So it's this principle where it says something is either this or not this, and when you say that, when you say it this way, it kind of takes away the middle, and it sounds complicated, but it's not. So I'm going to get the kids. Kids in here, I I want you to help me understand this one. You ready for this, kids? Yeah? A couple of kids. Yes, here we go. All right, kids. I want all the kids to stand up wherever you are. Just stand up in your chairs, stand up in front of your chairs. Go ahead and stand up for just a second. Kids, stand up. If you're supposed to be in Kids Quest, stand up. Are you standing? There we go. Okay, you're standing up right now. Kids, are you standing or are you not standing? You're standing, yes. You're standing up. All right, kids, wave your hands real high. Put them on your parent's head. There you go. Okay. Are you waving your hands and putting them on your parents' head? Yes? Yeah, you're not not doing that. You can go ahead and have a seat. Thanks, kids. Well done. So here's the principle. Look, this is either my hand or this is not my hand. I'm either speaking or I'm not speaking. The kids were either standing or they're not standing. It takes away the middle. There are times where you say things can't be gray. They must be either black or white. This or not this. So you get the point with the resurrection we can do this either Jesus was raised from the dead or he was not raised from the dead. He was raised or not raised. And you can never you cannot forever remain in a middle on this one. You can't remain agnostic about it forever. Why? Because the stakes are so high. Either the greatest thing that could ever be conceived of in the history of the world has happened that God has come down. He is assumed human body, he has died on a cross, he has been buried, and he has been resurrected. Either that has happened or not. And if it has happened, then it demands every fiber of your being of allegiance, demands every ounce of energy, all of your attention oriented towards loving God, glorifying him, living your life in such a way that announces a new kingdom is here, a new kind of kingdom built on different values under a different kind of king. I know this might seem like, well, gosh, I I just want to experience the love of God. I want the feel goods in me. Like, when do I get some of that? Fair, you know? Like, I I totally get that. When we speak about human love, when I talk about the love that I have for my wife, I don't normally just list off a, a set of values about my wife. Oh, she's five foot four. She has brown hair. I've known her since high school. We've been married since 2005. And I have I wear a wedding ring, which means we love one another. Now, you, you don't normally list off the evidence this way. Instead, I, I say, I'm in love with my wife. She's my best friend. She's just this deep compassion. There's just this synergy that we've had ever since we've been married. And we grow in friendship every way and every, every day. But that's, that's not how we experience God daily. We don't have visible encounters with God every day. So we need deep reminders of what he's done in history because we love him similarly like a spouse, but also differently. We have moments of deep experience of his love, but not always, not every day. See, every Christian, like I said a minute ago, every Christian trying to follow Jesus will have moments where they feel uniquely close to God. You'll feel like you are on mountaintop moments with God. But that is just not daily life. Most of our life is spent in the valley, not on the mountaintop. And in those moments in valley life, when following him, carrying the cross becomes challenging. When he tells you, forgive that person. When he tells you, you've sinned, repent, make amends for it, restitution for it when you're going through really difficult moments of pain in your life and you're wondering, does God know, does he see me, does he care about me? You don't fall back on your experience. You fall back and say, this has happened. He has stepped out of the grave. And even if I don't personally experience his love in the way I desire in this moment, it does not change the fact that he is no longer in the tomb. Come and see. Come and see, the angel invites. And then he tells them, you've seen this news, go and tell. This is news with implication. Go and tell. So the, if you're looking at the, the scripture, this is in verse 9, that women, they run away from the tomb going to talk to Peter, and who should they meet but Jesus himself? They meet the resurrected Lord, and you can look at their response. It says they clasp his feet and they worship him. Have you ever seen a ghost with feet? They clasp his feet And they worship him. And this is such a picture of what the church has always said about who Jesus is. Truly human and truly God. They clasp the feet of the human and they worship. Something that monotheistic Jews, strictly monotheistic Jews, would only worship God. And here they are worshiping Jesus, the God-man. And what does Jesus say? Verse 10, go and tell my brothers. Here is news with implication, not just news. But news with implication. Go and tell Peter. Peter's upset. He's denied me. Go and tell him I've been resurrected. I forgive him. Go and tell the other disciples. They're scared right now. Tell them you never need to fear again. All is forgiven. A new kingdom is starting. Go and tell them that all that I said about me was true. All my commands, all that I have taught them is true, is really happening because I've been resurrected Go and tell them, go and tell all people that all are welcomed, every nationality, men, women, no matter where you're from, all are welcome to come because I've been resurrected. Go and live out this new kingdom life, telling, showing, proclaiming, embodying, death is washed away, sins are forgiven, and that there is deep purpose for your life. Go and tell them because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. May we live this truth in the name of the Father and the Son